Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and really walk through their story of how they've gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to reiterate my main goal and the goal behind the Next Level Minds podcast, and that is to impact over 1 million people. So if you have not done this already, please share this episode, subscribe to the show, follow me on social media. Um, you know, the impacting 1 million people is not a solo effort, it's a group effort, and it takes each and every one of the listeners out there help to make it happen. Now on to today's guest and episode. I'm sitting down with Brandon Florardi. He is a seasoned sales executive who has sold over $50 million in SaaS sales to some of the largest brands in the world. He's the author of the book, Seven Steps to Seven Figures. And he also runs his own newsletter called Be Focused, Live Great. He's gone through some tremendous failures and adversities throughout his career success. So I'm excited to dive into those with him and really unpack the learning lessons. He also has done tremendously well outside of those failures and adversities. So I'm excited to unpack everything with him. Brandon, I've been following him on LinkedIn for a while now, and each and every one of his posts really get me going about business, sales, personal development. Uh, so quick plug there, definitely follow him on that platform. But other than that, excited to sit down with him. And as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Brandon, thanks so much for hopping on the Next Level Minds podcast. Chris, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So how's uh, Sarasota treating you today? Uh, it's starting to get a little warm uh, this this time of year. So yeah, it's it's about time to leave for the summer. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, doing anything fun over the summer though? Uh, yeah, we actually uh, just got an RV, uh, <laughs> funny enough. So going to be doing a little bit of, of travel around the country, a little bit of touring uh, to meet with some people and and do some virtual, event, well, in, in-person events finally. So yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. What, uh, so how long are you going to be on the road for the RV? And uh, You know, maybe a month at a time. We, we try to get one that is all-wheel drive, get off the, the grid a little bit. And uh, yeah, so looking forward to exploring, getting into some adventures. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you've pretty much been in uh, in sales your, your whole career, at least from, from yeah. the outside looking in. So I, I did want to ask, you know, as a kid growing up and everything, were you always entrepreneurial? Were you always that guy doing like lemonade stands and all that? Or where did all that come from? <laughs> so I think I was a natural born, born salesperson because um, somehow I was able to convince my parents to, to get the toys that I wanted and uh, do the things that I wanted to. Uh, but I wasn't a spoiled kid. Um but I didn't know that I was going to get into business or uh, yet yeah, was always trying to get into entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, but ironically, I tried to start my career in professional soccer. Um, I, I was a you know, youth player, collegiate player, 
finished high school early to train actually down uh, this way in Bradenton at the IMG Academy. Um, this was before it was owned by IMG. It was the Adidas Soccer Academy uh, at the Nick Boletary Sport uh, Tennis Academy. And um, so I had the opportunity to uh, spend a couple of seasons in college and then had the opportunity to go try my luck and earn a contract in Eastern Europe. Fortunately, ran into some injury issues, but some of that discipline uh, I was able to apply into my first role, which was not actively selling. Uh, it was actually working for a soccer education startup uh, up in Long Island, New York. And, um, but it gave me my first lesson in selling, which is the best way to sell is to not sell. Uh, so I was running small group training. I was running one-on-one -on -one individual packages. So I was selling that to uh, parents for their youth players who were uh, obviously pretty serious and wanted to get their, their players into uh, the best clubs as well as uh, college and so forth. So, uh, and then from there, cut my teeth uh, in sales and stayed in sales until I, I retired from the corporate world just a few months ago. Yeah. I remember seeing that on LinkedIn. I was like, man, that's gotta be like a great <laughs> feeling obviously now going all in on, on everything that you got. Right. Yeah. And now we can hop in the RV and go <laughs> and work and live from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me back up a little bit for you yeah. uh, with soccer. So this yeah. podcast, Next Level Minds, I like to kind of talk about adversities a little bit because I think a lot of people look at successful folks like, all right, well, cool. Like, I want to hear about some failures. So yeah. how, how did you kind of mindset wise get through those injuries, right? I mean, I'm yeah. sure you had a big dream. Like, what did you do to kind of keep the, the needle going forward and all that? Yeah. So ironically, the adversity I had to face was to even get that opportunity. So mm -hmm. I didn't start my first two years, uh, my two, first two seasons, I should say, in college. Um, so I sat on the bench, um, and after my sophomore season, uh, after that, I really got to work. Um, I started taking ownership of my skill development, my personal development, uh, sought out, you know, good training, sought out, uh, training myself, um, and tried to get into as many competitive games as possible to build up my uh, you know, game match fitness and, and, you know, just the, the experience that I needed. And then, you know, did that really, really well, uh, for a good, you know, six, eight months. And then, um, had the opportunity to go spend a few weeks, or actually it was about a month in Europe and they asked me to stay. And, uh, I thought to myself, this is a golden opportunity I have to take. Um, you know, most players turn pro, especially in Europe, in their late teens, 16, 17, 18. And I was already 19 years old at that point and thought to myself, this is it. This is the chance I've got to take. So um, I went full in, but unfortunately that work ethic um, was too much because I felt like the only way to stand out was my work ethic. And unfortunately that got me into a position where I was getting these overuse injuries and so I, I didn't get the contract, didn't get to, to stay. I did have an opportunity to go with a lower division club, sort of like the minor leagues. They asked me if I wanted to stay, but um, no offense to Romania. Uh, it, it, was, it was an awesome experience, but wasn't a country where I wanted to sort of play in the minor leagues and sort of forfeit my potential future. 
So um, at that point, I did make a commitment to myself. Okay, I'm going to get over this injury. I'm going to go back to school. I didn't sign any contracts. Uh, so I could keep my college eligibility and two more seasons that I could play. So for uh, a good six months, I had to rest and recover. Um, and I think what helped me during that time was really getting into Eastern philosophy. I started reading a lot of books because I had time on my hands uh, around Buddhism and Eastern philosophy, started getting into yoga to sort of, because uh, I had two paths. I could either do surgery and, and then sit out for six months, or I could just try to let the injury heal for six months. And so I went with the more natural, holistic path and started incorporating yoga, strengthening other parts of my core, my body, um, trying to heal. I was able to do that. And then, um, Com- compete in, uh, you know, the, the, the last two seasons in, in college. So yeah, uh, overcoming that just took, uh, it was a slap in the face because I really wanted that contract. I, I really thought to myself, I'm going to be a professional player in Europe and that's going to be my life. Um, when that didn't happen, I had to be faced with reality and just focus on me, focus on uh, exploring alternative paths to my future and, and working through the injury day by day, um, trying to heal my, my, my mentality as, as well as the injury itself. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, European, uh, you know, football as, as they call it, you know, yeah. it's, it's so competitive. I have some friends over there and like, yeah, man, they start recruiting at like six years old, Oh yeah, uh, which I think yeah. is just so unique. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. You systems, uh, yeah. From that age all the way up to, the, the first team, the, the professional team. So yeah, uh, it's, it's highly competitive and it's, it's very systemized. It's very structured. Um, we're starting to get there here in the U S uh, which is good, but yeah, it was needing to catch up a, a lot as, as a 19 year old. Yeah. I, uh, this is nothing compared to European soccer and all that, but I, I did rec league like pretty much a whole life. And then a couple yeah. of years I jumped to, uh, to travel league, which literally was like so many steps above and I just got destroyed. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> like I need to go yeah. back to rec league. So I can't, I can't imagine, you know, yeah. European was just so competitive and everything for yeah. you. Um, but no, that's, that's so cool that you, uh, utilize kind of like yourself, right. I think, you know, you had two different options of let me get the surgery or, Hey, let me kind yeah. of go deep and do some yoga and do these kind of holistic measures. Uh, I think a yeah. lot of times people just jump straight to, a doctor or straight to medicine or straight to pharmaceuticals. And it's like, Hey, like maybe there's some other methods out there. So I really like that you did that. Yeah. Uh, and I think actually gave me some resilience that then I took into my sales career, um, mm. because it allowed me to sort of be self-reliant. It allowed me to be my own best coach. And I started thinking to myself, uh, cause I was taking, um, NSAIDs, you know, you know, painkillers basically every single day, uh, while I had this injury and I thought to myself, do I really want to be taking a painkiller every single day, uh, just to sort of numb the pain and not really deal with, with the issue just so I could play. Um, or do I want to take a step back, you know, try to really completely heal this injury so that I can move forward and get back to my best. And so I, I went with that option and then, uh, realized, okay, I tried it. I, I don't have any regrets now. And, and honestly, I can feel good about that, um, knowing that I gave it a shot. And once I, I finished with school, 
I did, like I said, get into working for an organization uh, that helped me to start selling. And, um, and I, I sort of found my sweet spot, uh, I think, in sales at, at that point, and just kind of kept going from there. Yeah. How did you, um, how did you jump from the, the soccer training and all that to the SaaS space? Because jumping yeah. into SaaS is super hard from my understanding. Yeah. So um, I didn't jump right into SaaS at that point. So um, I, after the soccer training company, the, the company eventually was sold to another organization. Unfortunately, a, another hard lesson. Luckily, I got all my hard lessons and failures out of the way early in, in my career. Um, I didn't ask for equity in, in the company, even though I was employee number four when I started. We grew to 50 um, by the time I left. Um, so, you know, left without any, any stake in, in the organization after it, it got sold and then um, went on to another passion of mine. Maybe your, your viewers can't see it, but behind me is a DJ table. And, um, you know, living in New York, uh, very expensive city as a 20 something year old, I needed to pay the rent. And so I started working as an account manager for Scratch DJ Academy, uh, which was founded by Jam Master J of Run DMC. Mm-hmm. And um, they started a subset of that business uh, called Scratch. Uh, and it was like a music marketing agency helping brands to utilize DJ talent to mix background music or in stores or at events. And so I was an account manager there um, while also DJing on the side to try to pay the rent, which I barely did. And um, that was my first foray into selling. And did that for a couple of years, um, met my uh, now wife, girlfriend at the time. Um, I personally ran into some injury, or excuse me, uh, financial issues. So went from injury issues to now financial issues. and. Um, had to declare bankruptcy personally. Um, and when I met my, my wife at, at the time, we had both lived in New York City. She had just finished nursing school and we wanted to start over as a, as a clean start um, as I declared bankruptcy. And so we moved to a small town in Florida where we are now, Sarasota. This is where she grew up. And um, that's where I just had to start over and went into the hard knocks of selling I was selling $45 print ads to small businesses, bars, restaurants, and going from New York City, managing Gucci's background music to this. That was a very humbling experience while also having to rebuild my credit, build up my finances, save for a home and all those things. Um, It really leveled me down to ground zero. And I thought to myself, well, I can only go up from here. It also coincided with the financial crisis of 2008. Um, luckily, we never owned a home, so mm. you know, after a couple of years of um, you know scraping by, uh, we could uh, get by. We, we were able to buy a home uh, during the downturn, and we've been here ever since. Um, and then from there, I just kind of kept climbing the ranks. Uh, got into from there, got into television advertising. Uh, from there, then I made the move after realizing uh, advertising was shifting from offline like newspaper and TV to digital, uh, started in around 2012 with my first SaaS company. Um, but it was still with small, medium-sized businesses 
And then eventually from there, just kind of kept climbing into mid-market and eventually enterprise. And then my last stint at Live Person, um, where I really made a big impact, uh, strategic selling to Fortune 50 level brands. So I want you to touch on this for a second. You said you went bankrupt. That was 2007, right? Or was it? Yeah, so, uh, yeah I filed in 2008. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. about 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. what was your, and I, I know it's public. So what was your W2 in 2021? Uh, 2021, just shy of 1.1 million. All right. That, that's crazy. Like, I just want the listeners out there to be like, <laughs> oh my God, like so much can change in, yeah. you know, 14, 15 years. So for yeah. those listening, if you're at a point where you're struggling or you're going through some hard times, realize Brandon just showed you what can really happen, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years, going from bankrupt to, you know, yeah. your W2 over a million dollars a year, which people are blessed to retire with that nowadays. So yeah. making that in one year. And I, I, I want to ask on that. I mean, what were like your habits, routines, yeah. behavior, skill sets that, that got you that type of income? Because I, I think six yeah. figures is standard in yeah. sales, but it's yeah. like to get up to that seven figures, you talk about this a lot, that, that takes some really strategic uh, positioning and stuff. Yeah, for sure. So um I actually wrote a whole ebook around this uh, that I published called Seven Steps to Seven Figures. And the first step um, that, that I had to do was get in the right environment um, to, you know, if you want to sell big deals, you need to be in a big deal environment. So prior to joining Live Person in 2018, um, I was doing relatively well, you know, making, you know, low six figures, happy in my role, selling to enterprises. Now it was at a late stage startup, so their definition of enterprise was not necessarily the definition of true enterprises. But uh, it was still a great experience. I was there for a few years, and um, but I knew like there was something more, um, and I wasn't necessarily just chasing the money. But I knew from a challenge standpoint, there was a whole other level to achieve, and uh, I was. Re- recruited to come to live person, um, thoroughly embraced the challenge and, and loved it. Um, when I was first hired, uh, I was told by the manager, Mike, I, this was a seven figure earning position and I took it and ran that first year I joined in, in January of 2018. That first year was definitely a grind. And, uh, I had to put in the effort to, to do that took again, a lot of what I took from athletics, um, my hardships, uh, and in in all the you know situations that I had to overcome, and applied that. But I was in the right environment. Um, I had the right resources from legal, from infosec audits with these really large organizations, a targeted account list, um, and then from there, I just sort of applied what I call a personal operating system that I've sort of been fine tuning over the years but was finally an environment where I could apply it in a way that helped me to earn life-changing income, but do it in a sustainable way, do it in a way that didn't, uh, you know, hurt me from a health and wellness standpoint, because during, you know, that 14 year stint from declaring bankruptcy, starting to sell small little print ads to local bars, to getting into uh, selling to fortune 50 companies, Another issue I faced was this constant hustle and grind. Um, and I, I really came across it in the SaaS space. 
um, where it, it's it's not like touted, uh, you know, deliberately, um, but most environments encourage this idea of constantly hustling around the clock. When I would show up in the offices, it was, hey, here, have a Red Bull, right? Keep going, keep grinding, keep, keep hustling around the clock. You know, we got to work on the weekends. You got to, you know, I even wore a lack of sleep like a badge of honor. Um, and so that's hustle culture was uh, ultimately something I fed into and got behind and got results. But, you know, it was a, it was a bear to have to do it all over again, month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. And so I was thinking to myself in the back of my mind, there's got to be a better way to, to operating. And one of the catalysts, honestly, was um, slowing down, embracing this concept of slowing down. Um, so now I'm kind of going back and forth here, but I'm going to fast forward now to 2019. So I have a year under my belt working really hard at live person. I was in the right environment. Um, but at the end of that year, after closing my first two deals in December, I was already setting myself up for a good 2019. I sat down with my manager and we, we came up to the conclusion that I was saying yes to everything that came across my desk. Um, and this sort of goes into step two of seven steps to seven figures, which was starting to get really intentional and deliberate about my account list. And uh, fortunately, I did have a really good manager and, and, and we sat down on an offsite and, and he said something to me, you know, what you should do is slow down in order to speed up. Because I see when you do high quality, deep work with accounts that you care about and mean something to you, it shows on the customer side, the prospect side. When you're working in an account that you don't know much about or you don't care about, that shows as well. And so it was really eye-opening for me. And that allowed me to rethink and reevaluate criteria that was really important to me. And when I applied that filter across my own account list, I had about 50 accounts, I made the hard decision to move some really big accounts off my list. I'm talking Apple, I'm talking Walmart, the world's largest company. Um, and the reason being like one of the criteria was I wanted to move quickly on deals. I wanted to be a prolific seven-figure deal closer. And I knew I wasn't going to be sitting across the table from Tim Cook anytime soon. Uh, and, you know, high up executives at Walmart, it would have been a time drain, a time suck for me and an energy suck to be working these accounts. I'd be better suited getting them off my plate and focusing a little bit further down the Fortune 500 list but accounts that I knew I can make meaningful change and drive transformative results. So that was a big driver that seven and a half X my income because I was around 200 K ending 2018. I ended uh, 2019 at 1.5 million. Wow. And just from being, I mean, a lot of factors there, but it's yeah. crazy what can happen when you're very strategic of yeah. the accounts. And I like that you didn't, kind of get mesmerized, if you will, by the big brands. You're like, no, yeah. like I wanted to move fast. Um, yeah. so, so that's, that's really cool. I think, so can you go back a little bit about, um, the kind of the hustle culture I, I've yeah. seen, you know, about like, didn't you end up in a hospital for a little yeah. bit and stuff? It, was that kind of during that time? 
It was, yeah. So around 2011, um, right when I was kind of breaking into SaaS uh, or shortly before, I was just working around the clock. I was a successful six-figure earner, um, finally getting past like, ah, all right, I'm building credit. Like I've got strong income here, strong savings, starting to feel good about myself and getting the recognition um, was sort of being fed, oh, hey, hustle culture works until I landed in the hospital. And as a young 30-something, you know, there's two reasons usually you have a stroke. It's a hole in your heart, which after a battery of tests, I didn't have, or you're a heavy drug user, which was definitely not the case for me. And so the only thing that I could point to is just how hard I was working around the clock, how little sleep I was giving myself and just constantly hustling and grinding. And that should have been a wake-up call. Unfortunately, it it was not the the the, the wake-up call I really needed. And it wasn't until later around 2019 when I really embraced this concept of slowing down in order to speed up uh, that both my income, my wallet uh, was positively impacted, but my overall life. Like in 2019, I spent more time vacationing than ever in, in my professional career um, and was able to you know, deliver these transformative results to clients that meant something really important to me. And then, um, you know, making, you know, really strong income, like a professional athlete. So kind of coming full circle of, you know, making the type of income, um, to the, the, the soccer player that I aspired to be, uh, it, 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 it happened that year. And then when COVID hit, um, cause I was focused on net new business, that was, Another setback in some ways professionally, but after the initial shock and awe, um, like we all had right in March of 2020, um, I actually started feeling really peaceful and calm. Even though new business was decimated, I doubled down on these good habits. I doubled down on getting good sleep. I doubled down on tracking these habits through measuring what was happening with data from my whoop, a wearable that I wear, um, correlating, you know, when I sleep seven hours a, a night, those started actually becoming better leading indicators of my performance than traditional activity metrics that we often look at in sales. Um, I started reading a lot more and reading books like Deep Work and Atomic Habits and, and other really great books out there that helped me to realize when I focused and prioritized my day around high leverage activities and tasks, I moved the needle much further than just defaulting to opening my Gmail and responding to Slack's first thing in the morning, which I thought, well, that's what you needed to do. You needed to be hyper responsive to your teammates and your, your customers and prospects. Whereas focusing on deep work, like a strategic proposal or doing that research for what I call a diamond account, um, that's actually what moved the needle on me, you know, making big moves in my life, like earning seven figures, closing seven figure deals consistently, being top of the leaderboard. It wasn't focusing on those outcomes. It was focusing on the deep work efforts and the process that went into that, which integrated a lot of things in life, 
similar to how, honestly, a professional athlete operates. They use data around effective sleep and their nutrition and when they train and how hard they train, um, how well they recover and rest. Um, that's often not the case, uh, particularly in SaaS sales, because there's still this pervasive hustle culture that exists. And we look to leaders like when we hear Elon Musk is working around the clock uh, in factories or, you know, Tim Cook, um, you know, is firing off emails at 11, 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. and then getting up uh, at 4 a.m. We hear, well, that's the only way I can be successful in four hours of sleep. And I just have to work around the clock. It's my work ethic. That's going to, to make the difference. Um, really over the past few years, I shattered that, that myth by being more intentional, being more deliberate, focusing on deep work, systemizing, um, healthier habits. Yeah. No, I've loved your content on LinkedIn about all that. I mean, you firstly helped me out a lot by, right. by looking at this. Uh, so just wanted to give you that mention there. And uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, when I first got into sales, it was like a couple years after the you know Wolf of Wall Street movie came out. And yeah. you know, I just kind of thought like, hey, I guess that's the vibe of it. Like, this is fun. And like, yeah, I kind of went through the same thing. Not as long for like a two, three years of like, you know, the five hours of sleep, the late emails, the early emails, you know, the two yeah. or three Red Bulls a day. I had someone I knew that worked for a monster that actually would like give oh, free yeah. monsters out. So, uh, and then I realized like, actually like right around COVID when everything shut down and it was kind of like, you had a whole like, whoa, like family really matters. Friends really yeah. matters. Health really matters. Uh, and that's when I've started drifting more into it. And like, I have the whoop as well, nice. um, you know, tracking everything. And so I love your content just to mention to everyone, like go follow him on LinkedIn. I'm going to put your stuff in the show notes. Uh, Cause if you're in sales or even just business in general, like you, you got a lot of good content out there, man, about rest and slow down before you can speed up and all that. So yeah. appreciate that, Chris. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and so the 27.3 million uh, ARR with the 78% closing rate, was that at, was that at live person that, that, that happened? Was. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was there for a four year, four year period uh, close, in total contract value, just a little over 50 million, uh, which translated to about 27.8 million in annual recurring revenue. And um, yeah, my closing ratio was was high. It was about 78%. That's, I mean, that's crazy. Like I've heard yeah. 45, 50, like, did it just go back to those same habits of, uh, you know, the rest or did that go back into, you know, human first selling second mindset that you have as well? Yeah. So you bring up something that I talk about a lot too, human first, uh, seller second. So also over this period, um, so much culminated. I think it was the perfect storm of timing of joining the right company at the right time. Me being more deliberate about how I focus, what I call my tea, my time, energy, and attention. But I also started embracing something that I was just curious about and reading often about, which was design thinking. And design thinking is basically just taking human-centered principles and trying to solve big problems. And it just felt really natural to me because, you know, I, I'm not like that typical hard-nosed Wolf of Wall Street salesperson, very introverted in nature, very strategic in my thinking. I'd prefer quiet time. I'd prefer the ability to write a strategic proposal versus being on back-to-back -back calls or Zooms or meetings. 
And so being in a strategic selling environment where I could go deep, I started to thrive and I started gravitating towards design thinking and using these human first approaches because I found when I could lead my own business, and that's the way I thought to myself, I'm simply a CEO of my account list. And you know, live person was a venture capitalist who was investing in me to be successful. Um, that allowed me to start shaping a new way of operating. And I thought to myself, well, I want to lead with principles that are always be authentic. I shouldn't be different with different prospects or different people. I, I will always make decisions based off of a set of personal operating principles. And then those continue to evolve to be like aspirational ones, like always be authentic to very tactical ones that post pandemic, uh, I, I started, you know, learning about, you know, reducing my caffeine intake, like don't have caffeine afternoon. That was another principle that I would operate by and or no alcohol during the weekday because I knew you know, I'd be in the red the next day on whoop. And so I started just integrating all these things, design thinking and human-centered principles. Um, and that really culminated with starting with this book, Seven Steps to Seven Figures, where I end step seven is about developing this personal operating system. Because really my philosophy is, even though I talk to sales folks a lot, and that's really the majority of my content, at the heart of it, I don't necessarily consider myself a seller. I consider myself a high achiever that used sales as a mechanism to change my life. It was one chapter. It was one skill. Just like being an aspiring professional soccer player was a chapter in my life. Being a DJ uh, was a chapter in my life. Being a seller was a chapter in my life. Now being a, an online creator and an author is a chapter in my life. But underpinning all of that are a handful of human-centered operating principles and this idea of a personal operating system that works for me, a morning routine that's for me, not for somebody who subscribes to the 5am club, not to say the 5am club is bad, but for me, uh, it's, it's not necessary or ice baths or this or that. Um, and, and so that's like the one big takeaway that I want to share with others and if you just happen to be in SaaS sales, well, you're in an incredible industry where you can make life-changing income. And then when you, you can take that income and start investing in yourself and investing in this personal operating system, we can start to change your life by becoming more intentional and designing a life that makes sense for you. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that. What makes sense for you? I think a lot of times you see folks on social media and you're like, well, these people get up at, at four. I'm going to yeah. try that. And then it's right. like, no, like figure out what works for you. I mean, I personally am a morning gym goer, but yeah. I have friends of mine that are evening gym goers. It's like, whatever works for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have so much going on. Every person is different. Um, literally like our chronotype, another great book that I read from Dan Pink is the book When. And it talks about 
not just what you do, but when you do things is just as important. And we all have different chronotypes. If you're a natural night owl, why try to force yourself? If you have to only find that mornings is the only time that you can carve out to do these most important tasks, well, yeah, you can eventually train yourself to do it. You can sort of hack, biohack your way to it. But perhaps a better way to operate is to naturally align your environment and the way you work to your natural circadian rhythm. Um, same thing with your personality type. Again, I'm more naturally introverted. I've been able to eventually grow into being more of an ambivert. Um, but if you're extroverted, embrace it. You know, be an extrovert. Like go get a t- go get the energy you need from connecting with others. If you're introverted, well, that doesn't mean you're there's anything wrong with you. Which I felt like in sales uh, for many years. Um, just find a way to be you know more strategic and get the energy you need in in working in ways that does that for you, um, which is going to be the deep work, the strategic work, the writing. So we're all unique individuals. So you need to tap in and find a system. And what I talk about a lot is, well, actually there's a way that we can all be consistent with that, which is operate with a system that you define for yourself, but principles that work for you. And if you can define those principles, you can sort of carve out your day in a way, um, but every day could look different for, for each individual. Uh, that's that's the important thing. Yeah, and I think too, just finding before you even try to do that, like finding clarity on on the the principles that are working for you, your standard standard operating procedures, essentially, right for your life. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, um, and that starts with a really good vision for yourself. Mm. Like, what really motivates you? What are your priorities? Start with those two questions, and then you can start to back into designing a set of you know standard operating procedures or principles. And then from there, then you could design your day of, okay, here's my ideal day. And I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to commit to these rituals. I'm going to commit to these routines. I'm going to foster these habits. Um, And you make it easier for yourself by that good alignment, your vision, your natural tendencies, like your personality type and your chronotype. And then you can use artificial intelligence. You can use data from things like wearables bring all that together, uh, that is the, the hyper-successful modern knowledge worker, like what we are in SaaS sales. Yeah. And you got to stay committed to it, right? I mean, some yeah. people will set these standard operating procedures and unfortunately fall off the map. And that's obviously going to get you nowhere if you just do it for two weeks and then you kind of lose them, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, you talk, Real quick, you talked about chapters and progressing to each chapter. You know, the DJ was a chapter, the soccer yeah. was a chapter, the sales. Um, yeah. how, how can you like embrace each chapter, right? I think, especially if you're like, oh man, like I want to jump to this next chapter so bad. How can you embrace the current chapter that you're at? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I've come up with a framework. So similar to principles, I also like to operate by frameworks instead mm-hmm. of playbooks. Um, because as we were talking about earlier, just because we see somebody else being successful, that exact playbook may not work for you. And so we should be striving to develop our own playbooks. 
you know, maybe follow somebody else's playbook if you have absolutely nothing, right? Or you're a complete uh, newbie in whatever it is, whatever chapter that is. But at certain point, you should be looking to create your own playbook. And I find that mental models and frameworks are a great way to do that. Um, and so a framework that I've embraced recently uh, that I talk about in the book is this concept of DFC. So being disciplined, flexible, and curious. And I think it's a great way to operate with anything that has a beginning, middle, and end. So that could be a single workday. It could be this chapter of your life, right? Of I am a soccer player, I'm a DJ, I'm a new salesperson. It could be a sales cycle, an engagement, a meeting, you name it. And so the way I look at it is at the beginning, I want to be disciplined. I want to start off by being focused, just like, again, a top world-class athlete or even a sports team would go out and focus on, hey, let's just execute in the first 10 minutes, right? Our game plan. Um, We can't predict what will happen after that, but we can control how we start, And so I think that's really important is going into a discipline. And then that discipline should start to then morph into flexibility. Why flexibility? Well, you can't control everything in the middle. You can't control what happens in the middle of the day. Uh, An angry prospect emailing you saying, hey, the platform's down. Or in the middle of a meeting, um, being thrown off by an executive putting a wrench in Uh, or an objection to something you thought was airtight. So you need to almost move from being that disciplined athlete to more of a creative artist and flexible and being able to roll with the punches. And so I think being flexible in the middle will help you also embrace, seek out opportunities to say, well, hey, what happens if I explore this opportunity? Um, and be okay to say either no or yes to something. And then towards the end of that workday or that meeting or that project or that engagement or that chapter in your life, I think it's really important to start to flip into the curiosity mode like a scientist would, and they would reflect back on what happened, like an experiment, and tinker with asking two basic questions. What went well? And then double down on that into your next chapter or meeting or next workday, uh, or what didn't go well, and not get emotionally attached to, well, ah, that CEO, he really pushed back or she pushed back on, on this really great idea we had. And you know what? They just don't get it. Instead of being emotionally charged to whatever event occurred, just simply look at it like, actually, you know what? That's a data point. They're giving me they're, they're giving me feedback from their perspective. So maybe it's my ego that's holding on to that. And, and what I should do is just embrace that as a simple data point and move up and on from it uh, and learn to get better at it and maybe tweak something. So DFC, I think, is a, a fantastic mental model and framework to follow in any chapter in your life or workday or any project or event. Yeah. I like that a lot. And it's disciplined, flexible, curious, right? Correct. Cool. Yep. Cool. Yeah. The whole uh, curious side too. I mean, I, I like your viewpoint of 
you know, if you get some discrepancy from the CEO or stakeholder, whoever it is, uh, using that as not a point of anger, but a point of, hey, I'm going to use the reason why the feedback they gave me and see how I can make it better. I think, I think that's, that's super important, especially in, in sales and stuff too. So absolutely. Um, absolutely. Want to uh, round everything out here. Um, would love for you just to highlight the things that, that you have. I know you alluded to uh, seven steps, seven figures, and then the uh, be focused, live great newsletter. We already plugged the LinkedIn, but yeah, I'd love if you could uh, elaborate on some of the stuff you're working on. Yeah. So uh, really doubling down on what works well for me, which is writing. Nice. So published the first book, uh, which anybody can grab at seven steps to seven figures.io. Um, and then you can join my free newsletter. I publish twice a month. So bi-weekly, uh, it's the Be Focused, Live Great newsletter. And you can find that and sign up for it at brandonfluhardy.com. Cool. Cool. And then uh, seven steps, seven figures. That's a, is it like... 60, 70 bucks ebook type yeah. thing? Or, uh, okay. You know, right now it's, it's $77 and uh, yeah, it's, it's packed value with, it's, it's really meant to be a workbook. Um, nice. You get one-on-one access to me via text. Um, and I provide an action step after each of the steps uh, to help you to, you know, level up your career. Awesome. Well, Brandon, this was an awesome uh, episode here. I love sitting down and speaking with you. And uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks again, Chris. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the Next Level Minds podcast. Be sure to connect with Brandon on LinkedIn. He's got some fire content out there. Other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead.